Let's Define Win, a podcast for everyday horse enthusiasts to laugh, commiserate, and learn that life is all about how you define wins. All right, folks, so we are back for week 23 of Let's Define Win. Um, We're pretty pumped here because we have our first interview with Leonie from The Show Life. Um, Believe it or not, totally unscripted. We are not sure where it's going to go, but we know it's going to be good because it's not going to be a half an hour to 45 minutes of just Angela and Maddie talking. So without further ado, we're just going to hop right into it. So Leonie, why don't you just go ahead and give us... Um, a little background on yourself and what you do and how you do it, and we'll just move on from there. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, my name is Leonie. I'm 27 years old. I'm from Germany, and I run the website The Show Life, which is intended to be like a European version of The Chronicle or Go Ho Show, just to give you an idea of what we're doing. We founded The Show Life in 2017, so we've been doing it for four years now. And I used to show on the APHA circuit as a youth kid, and by now I am showing on the AQHA circuit. And I bought a quarter horse last year, so I'm really excited about that. And I think that's basically everything you need to know by now. Should we hit it off with one of our first questions, Angela? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are some of the typical classes that you have there that we don't necessarily have here? a horse or paint or something has one too where it's like timed trail but it's only specifically in China or something like that so yeah. I was if there was anything like that that you guys might have I actually think that we don't have that we have anything that you don't have I think that all the classes we have are somehow presented in the U.S. as well I think that we focus a little more on the in-hand classes than Americans do because um, we have in-hand classes for three-year-olds to like make people stop them from riding them too early. So we offer the in-hand classes with a lot of money in it to kind of prevent them from riding the two-year-olds. But I think in general, we have everything that you have, but we don't have all the um, roping classes. We don't have such a variety of English classes. So for example, we hardly have equitation over fences or progressive hunter. Um, and yeah, I think that's basically it because we do have the normal reining, we have the cow horse, we have all the Western all around and the English consisting of hunter in the saddle, hunter equitation and hunter hack. So we have like, I think a smaller variety of classes, but I don't think there's anything that you don't know. Do you guys have like fraternities and stuff still over there? Yeah, we do have the regular NSBA fraternity and the, um, DQHA fraternity, which is like the German version of AQHA fraternities, but our fraternity horses, um, I think they get one more year than the ones in the US. And um, in that way, the maturity also starts later. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned before, we have fraternity classes for in-hand trail and launch line for three-year-olds. And I think that is not offered in the US. No, because we just started doing two-year-old lunge line in the paint horse stuff at least this year yeah. you know, I think it's kind of cool I'll do it one big thing you need to know about Europe is that animal welfare is a big thing over here not just in terms of mindset but in terms of regulations and since many big shows take place in Germany where the regulations are especially strict mm-hmm. everyone has to adhere to them even if they're from Italy or France or I don't know Sweden 
they have to adhere to the drone regulations. So for example, you also can't clip the horses, which is kind of strange for many Americans. Like huh. you, can, you can clip the legs, you can like clip part of the ears, but you don't, um, you're not allowed to clip the nostrils, for example. I'd be so okay with that. That'd just be- I know. <laughs> like, yeah. So you said a lot of the big shows are in Germany then. So is it like not uncommon from people from like Italy and other parts of Europe just to haul it? I guess what I'm saying, like, I'm assuming you guys have more than just weekend shows. So someone from like Russia isn't hauling in for a two day show, right? So what's like a typical show look like for you guys? Mm, we have three shows um, that are not championships, that are not European or German championships, but are quite big. Okay. So they actually last about six days and okay. everyone goes there. They come from Italy, they come from Finland, they come from Sweden, France, um, lots of nations actually. So you can like kind of imagine it like a kind of no, international meeting, but it takes place in Germany. But you have to remember that the distances that people, for example, haul from Switzerland to Germany are about four hours. So I think that's nothing for Americans. Yeah. Yeah. We were just talking about that earlier. <laughs> no, we, are, we are a small continent in a way. So like when we go from like Minnesota to like Tulsa or whatever, right? And we go across like five or six states, we need like health papers. Is yeah. that you guys have to get papers to like cross the borders of different countries? Like what is it? What does it take? It, or is it literally you can put a horse in the trailer and just go across the border? Um, you need papers. You need papers that are signed by a vet stating that the horse is healthy, that they don't carry any disease or viruses. And I think it's especially strict in Switzerland. They also have to kind of like hazard a certain amount of money on the border so that they're allowed to leave and take the horse out and bring it in again. So that's kind of complicated, but I asked a friend beforehand and she told me that you can consult an agent that will do the whole process for you. So you just have to pay for it and they do it for you. But the basic thing is just, you need all the papers of the horse, like um, certificate of registration and general health papers. Everyone has like vaccines and anything. And then you just can just go. Do you think that, do a lot of people that are amateurs use trainers over there? Like what is the exhibitor trainer dynamic look like? Is it similar to here in the US or? Um, it's funny because um, I think that we have evolved over the years. Um, it wasn't as common maybe 15 years ago to like have your trainer and a certain team like the structure you have in the US. But by now that actually is common, especially in the big shows where I go. When I did the smaller shows, or if I do, if I go to a smaller show, I might go without a trainer. But I don't know, like saying in the circle that I'm in, it's not really common anymore. So we actually kind of developed to um, get the same standards you have in the States where you like say, I have a trainer, that's my team. Um, he coaches me, we go to the shows together and like everything, you know. At least from my perception here in the US, like it's pretty, like a lot of, there's a lot more what I would say like the western pleasure horsemanship a lot of that stuff than there is like dressage and stuff like that um and hunter jumpers and well maybe hunter jumpers are pretty big too I guess but like a lot less dressage and so do you have an idea of what kind of like that weight is over there I feel like you don't you hear more about like hunter jumpers and dressage over there than you do 
here at least yeah yes that's actually true i actually tried to find out like certain numbers or percentages but i couldn't find anything so um the usual thing in germany is to do dressage or 100 jumping and if you tell people like i do western they're like oh you do something with cows and the rope and you smoke on the horse and you're like, <laughs> they actually might know the raining but that's it dressage and jumping are really big over here and that's why actually in german terms we refer to it as classical riding whereas we do western riding to kind of like separate the two groups and i think the dressage and hunter jumping have a big tradition in germany and it's something Germans are actually proud of like the this big heritage of Western and uh, dressage and jumping. So Western is kind of like the new thing, but it has developed over the past 20 years. So people actually have sort of an idea of what you're doing. If you tell them I do Western riding, they actually might know Western saddle, but that's it. Huh. So do you guys yeah. have barrel racing and stuff like that too? We do have barrel racing and pole bending, but not in the way that you guys are used to it, I think, because um, as far as I know, like in the States, there are those big rodeos where you have barrel race, pole bending, all those, yeah, I, how would you say, like rodeo stuff. Yeah. Um, and in Germany or in Europe, it's like, if you go to a APHA show, for example, to get the all-around champion, you might have to do, um, I think, Bell racing or pole bending or raining or hunter hack to get like your categories full to yeah. even be eligible for, for the all around champion. So that's actually why they offer bell racing pole bending. And that's usually like at the last day of the show, the last classes, people start having fun. They get loose a little bit because all their important classes are over. So it's more of a fun class than something anybody takes really serious. Mm. Oh, that's yeah, because I think that's what, like, when we say, at least when I say, like, I do Western or whatever to people, they're always like, oh, you must race barrels, right? Or, like, oh, you go chase the cows or something. Yeah. I'm like, okay, there's, sure, like, if that's what it takes, sure. <laughs> yeah, but I ask you, like, do you wear a hat all the time you're riding? And you're like, <laughs> do you walk around with your spurs all the time? Nope. Yeah. Do you, do you like have the rope to rope the cows? No, nope, never touched yeah. <laughs> Same problem, apparently. <laughs> what are some of the more popular classes that you guys have there or like least popular? I guess like you've talked about the classes that you don't have, but like of the ones that you guys do have and participate a lot in, what ones are your like the most exhibitors and what ones have like the least exhibitors and stuff like that? Um, I think that on our big shows, the tray classes have the most exhibitors. So we have, I think a really big tray class would be up to 70 people. So that's a big tray class for us. A Western pleasure. Hmm? A trade class? Trail. trail. Oh, trail. Okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think Western pleasure is quite popular as well as the Hunter in the Saddle. Horsemanship, showmanship, of course, for the amateur riders. I think that probably the least popular is Hunter Hack. So we usually struggle to find enough people for Hunter Hack because there's always someone who loves to jump and wants to do it. So they kind of walk around at the show and ask, is there someone who wants to do Hunter Hack or they call beforehand? So that's probably one of the yeah least popular classes, but trail is really big and Western pleasure as well. 
Okay. Pretty, I think that's pretty similar here. I think we have the same problem with the hunter hat. Yeah, we really do. But I want to do it and we're like, oh, you're going to add like three hours to our show schedule for this one person. To like set it up and get them their tryout jumps and then take everything down again. And yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Sometimes that person doesn't even make it over, you know? Yeah. Or like, you're like, if we're going to have to sit here and watch, like, let's bump it up to the highest peg so that way it's a little exciting for the rest of us. See how this goes, kids. Oh, gosh. Hmm. This is why we don't run shows. What is your, so you said you showed paint as a youth and now you do quarter horse. What is your, I stalked, I stalked your Instagram profile and it looks like you really like the showmanship. Yes. Are there, what's your favorite class? Showmanship. Showmanship. Yes. Um, I also love trail, but I haven't done trail for a long time because I didn't have a horse. So I actually, as I told you, I bought my horse last year. Um, so the last time I did trail was in 2012. So no, 2014, but yeah, long time ago. So I love trail, Western horsemanship, showmanship, basically all those classical amateur classes you would, you would say, right? Yeah. I hate the Western pleasure. Love to watch it, hate to ride it. <laughs> it's too uh, stressful i agree so tell us a little bit about your horse and his aptitudes and all that stuff mm, he's a three-year-old by now he's by truly priceless you know like the australian gray stallion yeah. um, he's super cute love him to death he's my first horse ever so uh-huh. it's a big thing to me he hasn't done a lot so far in his life <laughs> like just a little bit of driving lines a little bit of showmanship we want to start him this year, so I'm really excited. I hope that he might do well in Hunter and Saddle and Recreation. And maybe one day in Horsemanship. And I actually think by now that he will be good in Showmanship. It can be so competitive. I actually haven't been to the States for quite a while, but um, the Showmanship is so competitive in Germany because we have those classes that are... It's like one class per show um, where you have... Horsemanship, showmanship, western pleasure, trail, and I think ranch riding and reining. Mm. But they, they're open braid, and you can enter with any kind of horse as long as you're a member of the association, and they have big money in it. So it's really, really interesting because you have youth riders, amateur riders, even trainers. So everyone gets mixed up, and it's usually like the best of the best. And these classes are so fun, and the showmanship is highly competitive. I love it. Like. So even like the open and trainers can do the showmanship. Yeah, that's so fun actually, like to see them because you always just see them coach. And I know so many trainers that love the showmanship, but can't do it. So that class is great for them. And it's usually like in the evening and everyone who doesn't um, participate just gets their dinner and their drinks and they sit in the stands and watch it and like kind of a certain electricity to it. So it's really fun. There'll be an occasional like, anyone can enter like a showmanship class or something like that. And, you know, trainers will go, but you know, they they don't happen to have a horse, right? Like they, oh, they didn't bring a showmanship horse from the use. People sure rally to find them a horse to use. People are, you toss it out there and you've got five or six people like, oh, here, you can use my horse. Like I will definitely volunteer. It's so funny. People really come together to get the trainers out there for the showmanship. Yeah. Or if, you know, you forget your, forget your English saddle and you're like, well, I guess I can't go in. People are like, oh, no, 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 I got you. I got you, girl. Yeah. Remembering my English channel for this weekend. Um, I know there's a, there's like a, 
big quarter horse show in Minnesota that has like the fun, like has a big fundraiser type fun class every year. And I think like one year it was like bridalless trail or like shankless showmanship or something. Yeah. And people will just go grab their food and watch that. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, we actually like we have something something similar at like all our smaller fraternities. They usually have a bridalist trail or shankless showmanship and kind of this little event where everyone has their dinner and it's just so fun. Yeah. <clears throat> I, <would> not. <laughs> I could do shankless showmanship. I could not do bridalist trail. I would just cry. <laughs> Stand still. <laughs> I think my voice would be like in shankless showmanship, he'd be like, that's great. I won't move. I just <laughs> I'll just stay here. Pretty much. <laughs> you look great. Yeah. Awesome. Um, what are some common like misconceptions, I guess, with showing in Europe versus the States? Uh, that was actually kind of like one of the questions where I thought about if I want to say what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it. Um, because I sometimes get the feeling that um, everyone in the States kind of thinks of Europe as this, I don't know, minor circuit. And I really feel like we're so competitive and Americans sometimes feel like, oh yeah, that's just Europe. But just let them do their thing. And I think that's totally wrong because everyone is so competitive. I mean, our circuit is smaller, yes, but we have so many people that actually have shown successfully in the States. We have European Congress champions. We have even a European select world champion at the AQHA. We have, I think, uh, NSBA Reserve world champions. So. Yeah. That's really interesting and I think that we have evolved so much over the past years. For some years we really just oriented on what people in the US were doing, but by now Europeans are kind of putting their own twist to the whole thing and as I said animal welfare is quite big so we're trying to um, evolve everything according to that respect and kind of like make it better and more progressive, more modern, think about the horses a little more so um, yeah, I think that would be the one misconception that Europeans are kind of like lagging behind and just doing everything the states do, so we don't. No, I mean, I totally agree with, like, I'll be very honest, like, I've seen videos and I was like, hmm, okay, and then in the past, like, year I've seen a couple, and I was like, hmm, that's a super nice, you know, like, I always, when I think of Europe, I think of, like, the Olympians, like, mm -hmm. jumping the, you know, 12-foot walls and all that sort of stuff. Like, I don't necessarily think of, like, Western pleasure and all that sort of stuff, you know? So, like, I've seen a couple of videos, and I'm like, huh, wow, like, those are some super nice horses, and I just never thought of that being, like, your niche, you know what I mean? But, yeah. yeah. I think, like, we have a trainer, for example, he's from Italy, and he has won the junior trail at the Congress, I think, probably 10 years ago. Um, we have someone who has won the horsemanship at the Congress in the novice amateurs. So there were like, I don't think like 120 people in it. Yeah. And we even have a girl from Sweden who took home the bronze globe at the AQHYO World Championship show in, I don't know, maybe 215 in the Western riding. So like those events where you really have to ride and you, you know, like you can't just sit on a horse and look pretty. You really have to do your job. And uh, I think... We have horses and riders that could easily compete over there, but they hardly get a chance. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. What's it take then to get a horse from Europe to the States, uh, other than an airplane? You know, like I assume like there's quarantine involved on both ends and... 
it takes a lot of money because of the quarantine the like flying the horse over um i think they have to stay in quarantine for at least two weeks maybe even three or a little more and then you kind of you have to find a trainer you have to find someone who's willing to hold a horse around so what people usually do and actually what is allowed if you qualify for the world show as an amateur or youth rider you are allowed to show a horse from the u.s oh. i mean like, usually i think the qualifying mode is that if you qualify, you qualify with your horse, right? So you have to show that specific horse at the World Show. But that is not the case for Europeans. So we have had quite some people who qualified for the World Show and were allowed to show an, a horse from the US. Oh, I've always wondered about that because it's like, yeah. I assume it costs close to $10,000, maybe more, to get a horse from Germany yeah. to Texas, you know? Like, I assume that. Well, and then you quarantine for two plus weeks, and like I, I like, I don't know. Dory would just go like dull, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I think there's a lot there. Well, I think it just shows to like the level of riders that are in Europe. Again, you know, like, we were just talking about that. Like to be able to fly to a different country and compete on a totally different horse that you've probably never ridden before and still do well, you know, like that just shows the level of competitiveness. I think it has like advantages and disadvantages. Um, I think usually the people who do that kind of arrive maybe a month earlier to just mm -hmm. get some time to practice and get to know the horse. But yeah, sure. I think the dream of everyone is to kind of go there with their own horse, the horse they love, and just show that horse and show, I, I don't know, me and that horse we got so far, so we're here. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I, I watched an interview a while back. I think it was like an Italian rainer or something like that. And he said he just brought his horses over at the beginning of the summer and literally just kept them here through what, like the end of the quarter horse world or whatever. So that way they all, he just got like the most out of that time, I guess. Yeah, we actually do have someone, someone from Switzerland who has, I don't know, maybe like five horses or I don't know. And he have had some haul over to US and brought back again. So yeah, he's been doing that for quite some time. But now I think they're both retired. But it's kind of funny to see, right? You just take a horse from Switzerland to the US, then take it back. Right. Well, and like, I can't, I can't imagine, like, like, I have so much appreciation for like a trainer who like hauls like five, ten head or whatever from like a certain state and then just pieces out and goes to Oklahoma for like a month for some large show. Could you, I couldn't imagine doing that with like one, let alone three horses with a plane involved across multiple countries in quarantine. I barely survived the two week shows with my one horse. Like I don't think. Right. Oh yeah. I barely survived the Congress when I booked there. I still think about that time a lot. <laughs> the sleep I didn't get. Oh yeah. It's, it's insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know how people survived the court horse Congress. Like, cause I would. I, 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 I still think I didn't. It's been a little nine years ago, ago and I still feel so tired. <laughs> well, that's what they say. And they say like, everyone gets sick and you know, everyone's cold and tired the whole time. <laughs> and you're so hungry, like all the time. Have you been to Congress? Yes, um, I worked as an intern for Bruce Vickery in 2012, and we went through the Congress and to the AQHA World Show, and I think the Level 1 Championships before the Congress. Yeah. So those, those were some intense weeks. I was so tired, and it was so crazy because, I don't know, you, 
that was in a time when Facebook, you know, you had Facebook, but it wasn't as big as now or Instagram and you like didn't get a real impression of what it's like. Yeah. Today, maybe you do, but back then you didn't. And I just went over there and be like, hi, I'm 18 years old. I'm from Germany. I want to work for you. And he was like, great. And two weeks later, I was like, oh my God, that's so hard. <laughs> it's so crazy. But it's actually, it was a great experience. I learned a lot from it. Basically, how to work hard. Yeah, <laughs> it was really good. And um, I think that's why so many Europeans are doing it. Because many Europeans are going over to intern for big trainers. Uh, yeah. Because you can learn a lot and not just about riding or horses, but about how those shows are organized, how to organize a team, how you as a trainer can probably like structure your day and structure your team and structure your horses. So that's kind of interesting to see. Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's just interesting because the Congress usually starts when our season ends. I think maybe they overlap a little, but it's really great. So the season in Germany ends and you can just go over to the States and enjoy summer showing and horses. What is your typical season then? Because ours is starting, well, Maddie's is starting this weekend and we'll go until middle of November. Yeah, I think it's roughly the same. By the way, I'm so jealous that you can start showing. We can't. Thanks, Corona. Thanks. Yeah, we usually start in April and then we have those three big shows that I mentioned before. I think they're set about each four weeks apart or five weeks yeah. apart. Right. Then we have the European Championships in August for the quarter horses at the beginning of August. Um, the Euro Pain for the paint horses at the end of August. And then we have the German Championship of quarter horses in the, I think at the beginning of October. So, and after that, it's usually done. We might have one or two smaller shows after that, but usually it's done by the end of October. And then it's winter and everyone goes to winter break and off season and kind of like relaxing a bit and then starting to teach the horses new things. Yeah. So is it typical then to let the horses have like a winter break where you're not training them? Because like in the state, like most show horses stay in training, like Mm, I think that depends on the trainer and it depends on the horses. Like some trainers specifically say my horses get off eight weeks after the last show just to like get turned out, maybe go to the walker, maybe go on, I don't know, the pasture, whatever. So yeah. they just get turned out. Others say that they kind of like want them to maintain a certain level of fitness. So they might lunge them or put them in driving lines or anything. Um, and others just... I don't know, train them year round. But I think the most common thing is to have like a little break at least. Yeah. And even like, especially for senior horses that know their job. So you don't have to teach them anything new. They can just go to a little break. Um, I think the younger ones might have like a shorter break to just start teaching them western riding or trail or whatever they're doing. What's the split between junior and senior horses there? Hmm, like that's for us... Um, five and under is junior, and then six and over is senior. Yes. The same. same. Yeah, same. Like, I think that's probably the same because we still work according to the AQHA or APHA rule. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here to that as well. So that's why I said earlier that technically you would be allowed to show a two-year-old. It's not forbidden. I don't want to show my two-year-old this year, so maybe I'll just tell him I'm adhering to German standards. <laughs> 
Yeah, you, you can bring him over and everyone would be like, oh, he's such a baby. Don't ride him yet. I mean, I didn't realize that the animal, animal rights, what it, animal welfare, animal welfare. Yeah. Was such a big thing, but that makes sense. I love that. Like, <laughs> I really love that. Yeah, I think there's like, you just, what we just saw Appaloosa say no more showing two-year-olds mm-hmm. a year or two ago. And, you know, now they're adding like the lunge line. So I could totally see it moving in that way. And the European and German baseline as like a general guideline. Yeah, we, we actually have like another association that you don't have. It's like an open breed, only German association. And they're even more strict because they adhere to the same regulations that the hunter jumpers and dressage people have. And they even, even have like regulations where they say you can show a horse only three times per day. So only three classes or you can only ride it five times a day and you're not allowed to ride the horse in the warm-up if you don't meet a certain level of skill. They kind of make like, they put you in certain skill levels, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So they're even more strict, but I think that on the AQHA and APHA circuit, um, animal welfare also is a big topic um, that starts with sorts of equipment and we have stewards that walk around and tell you like if they see you maybe riding for three hours they would go to you and tell you hey maybe you want to stop and just put the horse to the stall or anything so yeah it's a big topic over here I mean doesn't mean that everything goes well over here so don't think that but um, I think the level of awareness probably is a bit higher than in the states from what I have experienced personally. Well, I think that age thing makes a lot of sense too with the hunter jumpers, right? I guess I didn't make that connection either, but like they typically start a lot later than you would a pleasure horse, right? Because of all the joints fusing and stuff. Yeah, I think they usually start them at five years old. So whenever whenever I lead around my three-year-old with a saddle on, everyone at the barn is like, oh my God, the poor baby, what are you doing to him? He looks tortured. Yeah. Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, like, I don't know, probably four years ago, they had, like, the Omaha International over here, and I went and worked that, and I was asking some of the girls, I was like, so, like, how old's your horse, you know, whatever, and they're like, oh, he's, you know, he's nine, he's still super green, and, you know, the eventing, I was like, what? Like, what do you mean he's green? And they're like, oh, yeah, he got started when he was six, and I was like, that's a lot, that's a lot of investment. <laughs> yeah, and in our industry, you'd be like, Oh, he's 10. He's a senior host. He should be that broke. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting to see, like, I mean, we're so different in a way, but we're so alike on the other hand. And I love, I love the thing about that you mentioned with like the open um, thing that you have in Germany is like the skill level association or whatever that like you have to be a certain skill level to do certain things. Like, I love that. Yeah, it's actually like, it does have disadvantages because to keep the skill level, you have to do a certain amount of shows per year. Mm-hmm. And if you can't afford that, or if you don't have the time, well, that's just bad for you. But it does have um, advantages as well, of course. I mean, all the whole animal welfare thing is great, but as you guys might know, you don't have all the money to go to all the shows you want, right? right. Who does that? What do you, I guess like on that note, one of the quite questions I have is like I think one of the issues that we see with the industry over here is like 
there is such a large barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to buy the horse and you got to buy like all the stuff. Do you guys have a similar problem? Yes. Okay. Yes, we actually do, especially in the Western industry, because you have to um, you have to remember that for the hunter jumpers and dressage people, they have like riding schools with lessons where you can just take lessons on horses that you don't own. We don't have it as much in the Western industry, so it's harder to kind of get involved because if you want to get involved on a high level, you have to have your own horse or you have to be a lucky person like me because um, I always had friends who gave away their horses for me. They just told me, you can do a showmanship with him. Usually people don't get that chance. So if you want to be at the European Championship, the German Championship, you have to have your own horse. And that's really hard. And I think that's the biggest barrier because affording the like the show itself, the entry fees and everything else you have to pay is one thing. But having the money to like buy a horse and provide for a horse, that's a whole different thing, right? Right. Well, I guess I always thought the same thing here. You have to have your own horse because, right, there's not necessarily a lot of lessons available. But now that I think about it, I think there's a lot of options to like lease, Mm -hmm. especially the more you get in and like use someone else's horse. But that makes sense that you couldn't, you don't necessarily have that option over there, right? Because you got to you essentially have to bring it all there to you because it's not like you can readily go get things as easily as you can with like the English type stuff, right? With it just being kind of right there with all the hunters and jumpers and everything. Yeah. And I think like the classic leasing you might do with AQHA or APHA, where have you contract and you, you state that I lease the horse to person X. Um, isn't as popular in Germany because as you know, if you do the leasing contract, you can show in the amateur by yourself, you can show your own horse. So what people will do is that if they are an amateur or youth rider, they might give the horse to another rider for the novice or level one classes because in those classes, you don't have to own the horse, right? Right. So you can just let your friend show and you can still show in the other ones. Hmm. So that's quite common over here actually. I like that. Me too. (laughs) It was my only chance to show in the past years, to be honest, because I was a student, I couldn't afford a horse, and my parents um, never supported the sport, they didn't like it. So I had to kind of like save money for myself to get to a point where I could buy a horse. But that was at the age of 26. So I started showing when I was 12. So you can imagine the time span. Yeah. Yeah, it's a long time. To get a hold of like saddles, Western saddles and everything like that, like we took, like I could just order one from like Facebook, like what, not necessarily order one from Facebook, but like go shop on Facebook or like order online from someone and they're, they're located in the U.S. Is that how you guys do it? Do you guys have like Western saddle manufacturers over there? Yes, a lot actually. I think one or two that are specifically for the all-around industry. The others are more for the reining industry. Mm-hmm. Um, some people actually buy their Blue Ribbon or Harris saddles in the States and ship them over. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have the same with outfits, actually. We have maybe like five really great designers um, that actually also sell to US, to US clients. And their outfits are expensive, as you might like compare to Lindsay or 
polis plays or anything so you can you can pay five thousand euros for an outfit no problem over here yeah uh, so i think that in terms of equipment um we've come quite far in europe you can basically get everything here you can get everything custom you can get everything you want and if you want to have it from the states no problem someone can bring it over you can have them ship it over so that's easy globalization yay <laughs> that's awesome and same with horses actually you know like we breed a lot of quarter horses here by ourselves and we have a, a special like a special european breeding program that kind of rewards the european breeders but so people buy horses in the states and you just ship them over that's totally normal by now so funny in a way when you guys do a lot of your breeding in europe that you were just talking about do you guys tend to use european ones you guys like I guess you had mentioned that your horse is by an Australian stud um what do you what do you kind of see the split there as um I think by now it would be 50 50 um we still have many many people who import semen from the states for example like you know Lazy Loper, Best Martini all the stallions that are kind of the rage right now but yeah. we also have like a good amount of good European all-around stallions and I think even more in the reining industry. The reining industry actually is bigger over here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, I think that these days it's kind of easier to find the stallion you want to have for your mare, like the one that meets all the requirements. If you can decide whether you want to have fresh or cool or frozen semen and it doesn't matter if a stallion is located in the States or in Italy, it goes fast either way. So that's that's actually, I think it's a good thing because um, the European breeding industry is improving and getting bigger and, um, but we still need the US stallions to kind of get like a bit of diversity and variation to it. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, breeding is still a big thing because, you know, as breeders, breeders want to earn money so they kind of want to promote their European or German stallions and don't want people to use the ones from the US. But as we all know, the US sets the trends and we follow them in a way. So if people from the States that say that one stud is, you know, the big thing or the new stallion to breed your mare to, Europeans will do it. Yeah. I think it's so fun to see like the whole industry evolving and changing and especially with social media and Facebook, I think there's a lot of more communication and exchange. And we actually have quite a lot of European, uh, US judges and trainers coming over and they see what we're doing and they kind of get the impression that we are probably not as old school and old fashioned as you might think. That's awesome. Well, I think there's been a lot more like trainers like going over. To, I just, I just think there's a lot more back and forth too, you know, and yeah. I don't know. I, I, some of my favorite like designers are like European based. Yeah, I agree. I think like if you are normal amateur, as I would call it, you can't afford a new jacket every year. But right. believe me or not, we do have maybe like 10 to 20 female riders over here that can. And they will. And they will probably even get two or three new jackets per season. So it's kind of crazy. Like, we have so many people with so much money in this industry, but it's the same in the States. Yeah, I'm still trucking along with my one outfit. Yeah, I know. I'm like, 
I still like my outfit. It still fits. We're good. No reason to change it up now. <laughs> my horse hasn't changed colors. It still matches. It's fine. Yeah. That's why I always choose like the classical colors like black or gray because yeah. you can run for a long time. Exactly. <laughs> like it's the safest way. I actually decided to like wear a suit for showmanship last year and it fit me so well and I loved it and I felt like, oh my God, I can move in this. That's different yeah. from jacket. I like this. So I think I'm going to stick with that. Yeah. It looks so nice and professional, you know. Yeah, it's a little more grown up. I feel old now, you know. Less of the jackets, more of the suits. Yeah. yeah. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. But what, what, what is your impression of the European industry? Oh, that's interested. a good question. That is a good question. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely admit to being a little bit more arrogant um, about the European. I'm just trying to figure out how to ride in a straight line for horsemanship still. Yeah, so I know... <laughs> I, I know I'm not following all the correct social media and whatever, but again, I guess for like my hunter jumper kind of impression, I'm like, get out of the way. Like that's like, that's the standard. That's how it's done. Um, you know, like we're chasing them in that aspect, but for the Western, I always thought like, eh, okay, that looks fun. You know, they're, it looks, it looks like they're having fun, you know, like I've never, paid that much attention until like the last year or so and I was like wow like so many of those horses and riders could come over here and just wipe the table with us um which I think is cool but also a little bit like oh my god I hope they don't <laughs> well maybe like if the whole COVID thing is over you should come over to one of our shows how cool would that be we'll, we'll, we'll uh, buy some plane tickets and use it as a write-off yeah yeah little let's define when field trip off to germany let's do some research i'm a fan you could you could visit me i'm actually living close to neuschwanstein castle you know the one that is um the disney inspired castle yeah oh wait yeah we'll be there <laughs> we're good travelers we'll be there we'll be there just a backpack that's all we'll, we're ready to go when tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> Well, if only. I don't actually think that we will have a show season here this oh, year. Oh, really? Like last year, um, we had a show in uh, August and one in September. And I think one in October and that was it. Mm. Because it took them so long to kind of figure out how to do it. And so we were thinking like, okay, but maybe 2021, everything will be fine. We will go to shows. Even if we have to wear masks, we'll just go. Yeah. But, yeah they canceled the first show already, so... I'm a little pessimistic, but let's hope because I want to get back. I really have to get back to the show pen. Yeah. yeah. How big are your shows? Because I know some of our big shows have gotten canceled too, but I think, or like pushed back. But I think those are some, so I'm just curious, like what sizes of shows in general? Mm, yeah, it kind of depends on the year. The European, like the European Championship of Paint Horses, they usually have like a lot, I think. In 2019, maybe, they were the biggest APHA show ever, like okay. the year, even bigger than the ones in the States. So that was kind of crazy. But yeah, that would be like a normal number. Well, I remember looking at some of those paint, like top 20 shows or whatever, and like there were some in Europe, and I was like, dang. Yeah, that's yeah I Right, because like that, yeah, exactly, that beat out like the world show, even. Yeah. So like, 
Yeah, the pain's like actually getting way bigger. We've had like the situation where the um, the APHA industry was always like five years ahead of the APHA industry in Europe. But I think it has changed in the past maybe four years. They're getting so big. I don't know what they're doing, but their shows are so crowded. And it's really fun. I mean, it's more fun competing against, you know, 40 people than just four, right? Right. Yeah. I have a question about... So here in the U.S., we have, like, FFA and we have, like, 4-H and we've got, like, open shows and stuff like that. Well, I know Angela and I both did 4-H and I think a good chunk of our listeners also did 4-H. Do you have any type of, like, youth programs that aren't necessarily associated with maybe, like, a breed association but are more focused on, like, learning, hands-on experience and stuff like that that really help bring kids into the industry without, like, requiring... Kind of like that large upfront sum that you know associations or breed shows might require mm -hmm. yeah we actually have it's the association that i mentioned beforehand the one that has like the level sets because they have really like only you only have to pay small fees to enter the shows you can you don't have a horse you don't need to own a horse to enter um and they show they have shows that are like in an a b c d system so the D shows are really small and for like newcomers, novice riders, and you can just, you know, go to the show and be in a, you know, in a bubble or a climate where you feel comfortable and you're not at a show where you're like, oh my God, that person is so good and that one is so talented and, you know, get stressed out in a way. So I think that association would be the one that you could probably compare to 4-H. That's cool. That's cool. I like the ABCD thing. Because, right, because like, I think one of the things that we have with 4-H an issue that we have is like there's no tie to like you have like your local one then you have like a bigger one and then you have a bigger one and you don't necessarily have like here's the next step that makes sense you know like right. it's all at once right you get like thrown off the deep end as soon as you're kind of like done with 4-H there's nothing that's like right the next step really which is daunting and that's why so many people quit I feel like yeah yeah um, we have people that go really competitive within that open breed association. They even have a German championship. So you can like work your way up. But some are actually doing like, I don't know, the maybe first three levels and then go to AQHA or APHA, depending on what kind of horse they have. Or maybe if they own a pony before, they might buy a quarter horse because they've gotten into the sport and they want like a more competitive environment like the AQHA circuit. So that's a typical, I don't know, journey, I would say, for some equestrians. Did you, did you ever do that association? Were you always paint and then quarter? Um, I did it when I was really young, like at the age of 12. I started riding like a little late, probably compared to others at the age of 11. So I did my first show when I was 12 within that association, like Warp Chart Western Pleasure. It was really fun. I cried afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Because I didn't place, yeah. Um, but I that too, still. Yeah, <laughs> same. <laughs> but I, I got into APHA really quickly because at the barn where I was riding and taking lessons, they only had paint horses and they showed on the APHA circuit. So it was kind of like a logical thing to do. So where do you keep your horse now? Because you were saying that you put a saddle on your three-year-old and people were kind of like awestruck by that. Where do, yeah, where do you keep your horse now? Um, he's at a little barn where there are 
some Western riders and it's actually run by Western riders, but we also have some people who do jumping and dressage and they are actually the ones that are kind of confused by whatever I'm doing. Um, he, I think he might stay here over the summer and then go to the trainer in fall because, um, yeah, I don't think he's quite ready yet to go through the trainer. I, I had a, like a paint gelding that was like a big, like all arounder, right? Like couldn't move great, but like was absolutely nailed it in like the showmanship and trail and stuff like that. And I had him at like a hunter jumper and like driving barn. I would go put like these poles on the ground to like practice like trail or whatever. And they're like, Hey, you, do you know that your, your poles aren't elevated? And I was like, no, it's, it's, it's okay. Like I prefer I'm not elevated actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same. Yeah. Whenever I practice showmanship, people are like, what's she doing? Why, why is she running next to the horse? They're like, you know that you're supposed to ride the horse. Why are you just, why are you walking around with a horse? And I'm like, it's showmanship. Yeah. Have snow where you live? Yeah, it snowed like a week ago here, and there's still a little bit in my front yard, so not pleased about that. But same here. <laughs> we'll get a snowstorm in April. It always never never fails. So yeah, we still have some snow. Um, it's like I think it's supposed to be 40 degrees here today Fahrenheit, so Celsius. That's like eight, maybe. I don't know. I don't remember the conversion. <laughs> It's cold. Yeah, it snowed here on Monday and Tuesday. And I think we had like three inches. Some places had like in Southern, like, I don't know, maybe two hours south from here. Um, places had like six or eight inches, which. Yeah, was pretty, pretty good. I was going to try to throw out the, the metric conversion there. But again, I am not sharp on that. Um, <laughs> We can't even figure out time. So. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> it's so cool to see that you have to struggle with the same things because winter is so hard over here. It's so annoying. Like you have to motivate yourself so much to go through the barn and everything's wet and dirty and cold and the horses are crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, there's like the portion where it's like super cold. Like it was super cold here for like two weeks. Mm -hmm. and that part's really bad and then you know you get like the okay winter cold days and that's fine like that's tolerable but it's like when it starts to melt and get really nasty and you have to have your muck boots and your wellies on and you're pulling your foot out of like the mud to just go get your horse and bring it in like that is way worse than any like snow decent winter day at least in my book yeah I hate when you like lose a boot in the mud and then you're just like stuck hovering because you're trying to pull the boot but you don't want to fall down and so you said like make the decision do I walk to the barn with only one boot or <laughs> yeah and everything starts to look like a slurry right like is it poop is it dirt I don't know it's all the same this time of year <laughs> nobody knows nobody wants to know yeah. exactly I'm just waiting for spring to come and for the show season to come and you know things to be normal again. Do you have a class that you want to try that you've never done before? Uh, probably Western riding. I haven't done Western riding like as a class. I did it in training, um, but I'm so scared. There's, like all the lead changes and you have to be like really focused and have control of your horse's body and your own body. And I'm like, ah. 
there's not a lot of time between the cones to think, you know? All of a sudden you're like, oh, oh, oh God. Yeah. yeah. I understand that. I think I'll start with like showmanship and hunter in the saddle. And then I'll see if I can, like, you know, move up to equitation and horsemanship. And if that goes well, I'm happy. And I might try the Western riding. I'm just happy that I got a hunter on a saddle horse because that means I don't have the Western pleasure. Yeah, I prefer the hunter on her saddle to the Western pleasure too, I think. I just, I don't know. I think it's easier. I'm <laughs> Not just much under so much pressure to, you know, like think slow, think slow, make them lift up their bag. Don't go too fast. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot do this yeah and I always get so much anxiety when I like get up go off the rail because I've got to pass because like you know and I'm like oh man like I'm sure we just look like a little speed demon right now but like here we go whereas like in hunter under saddle like it's like nah man you just you just take just do it your thing on. yeah, yeah. You're just like, I go off the rail and that's totally fine because it's under the saddle and you're not supposed to be on the rail. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Meanwhile, Maddie has like a 15 hand horse. <laughs> She's going to be off the rail so no one runs her over. <laughs> you're just going to circle the judges. <laughs> hey guys, I'm still here. Yeah, you're like really annoying. Like, hi, hi. Pretty much whenever we do like the hunter and child, people are like, oh man, here we go again. Sorry. <laughs> I feel like a, or, the orange track. Yeah, we need to put an orange vest on her so she doesn't get lost. Yeah. So no one runs her over. Yeah. It's... Yeah. At the last show, Maddie's like, I'm going to show the hunter and her saddle. And I was like, oh, cool. That's exciting. And then we were outside together and she goes, how do I post? Where do I put my hands? Like, what should I be doing right now? And I was like, oh God. All right. Quick crash course. Right. Oh, good on you up here. She's like, hold her hands all the way up here. I just hate posting so much. That's why I'm so scared of the equitation because I always do it wrong and it's so embarrassing to say. Everyone who listens to this probably will think, oh my God, she's so stupid. How can she not know that? But I hate it. I hate it. No, no, I got the wrong diagonal at the world show this year. And I was like, "Mm, cool. We've just been practicing all year for this. It's fine. It's hard. I was hard. I was at the bar the other night and I was like trying to like pick up some diagonal and I couldn't. It was just me like 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 over and over and it was like dark and people were like pure, they're like what are you doing? I was like it's fine. Just I just need this moment. <laughs> Get over this. Actually, why I love your podcast so much because it's so relatable. Like I've listened to so many things and be like, yep, been there, done that, experienced. So it's so cool because I feel like usually on Instagram and our industry in general, people are more like fake it until you make it and pretend everything's great and shiny and sparkly. And usually I'm just there like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm doing it wrong. Oh my God, this is not going well. And it's, you know, kind of fun to listen to it and be like, oh yeah, there's other people who feel it too. Yeah, I feel like if I were to just keep it to like things going well and shiny and sparkly, I would have nothing to say. <laughs> yeah, we would just silently sit here for a, an hour every week like so. Okay. Yeah. But that, that's what makes it so fun, right? I mean, it's it's a fun sport and I think those little fails kind of are part of it and um, mm-hmm. you, you might laugh about it and you know, I've, I have had a friend who had ripped her pants one day right before the showmanship class. 
and everyone was kind of like surfing around her to cover her while someone else was getting um, a replacement pair of pants. And we, it was just so funny. Like we still laugh about it. And we probably talk more about that than the actual class because we were first and second and it was a great class and we loved it. But we still talk more about the pants incident than the class itself. Maddie understands that. Every show she's like, I'm gonna rip my pants. I'm gonna rip my pants. <laughs> yeah, it's risky. It's risky. <laughs> It's not not having a horn in the English classes. It's the pants and the showmanship where things could go wrong. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Huh. Yeah. I'm always nervous about sweating through my pants because my showmanship outfit's like olive green. And I'm like, and I mean, the jacket, I'm not going to sweat through it because it's like jeweled. But I'm like, those pants, man, I could sweat through those. <laughs> Makes me nervous. Especially on those like really hot summer days where you have the showmanship in the morning, but it's already so yeah. hot. And my showmanship outfit is gray, like light gray. So it's risky as well. Um, yeah, that's... Yeah. No risk, no fun, right? I guess. <laughs> no risk, no reward. Yeah. Uh, and you know someone has to do the entertainment. At least yeah. everybody else has something to laugh if I'm doing something wrong. I love that. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of Let's Define Win. We had a blast and learned a lot as we talked with Leone from The Show Life. If you guys aren't following them on Facebook or Instagram, we highly recommend that. They've got some great articles and posts and things that we think you guys might really enjoy. Um, while you're on Facebook and Instagram, make sure you're following Let's Define Win as well. Other than that, Thanks again to Leone from The Show Life, and thank you guys for listening. See you next week.